Hey, so my guest today is Peter Frampton. When I think about Frampton, I am immediately transported back to my teens. When Peter's musical juggernaut of a live album, Frampton Comes Alive, it took the world and my life by storm with these anthemic songs like Do You Feel Like We Do, Show Me The Way, Lines On My Face, and Baby I Love Your Way. I cannot think about those songs without also hearing what became his signature talk box sound vibrating through my body. Known in his, his earlier years for a fierce talent as a guitarist and musician, co-founder of one of the first rock supergroups, Humble Pie, and a collaborator with everyone from George Harrison, Bowie, and Jerry Lee Lewis to then Stones bassist Bill Wyman and Ringo Starr, that album, Framden Comes Alive, it changed everything. It became a global phenomenon and best-selling live album for decades. And following on the heels of that album, just months later, came this equally iconic shirtless cover on Rolling Stone, shot by Francesco Scavulo and accompanied by a feature story written by a then-young Cameron Crowe. Peter's ascendancy, powerful as it was, came with a very dark side. It recast him as a pop star, uh, an idol or sex symbol, an icon in the industry that was built to take advantage of just such a phenomenon. And the years that followed took Peter, his life, his mental health, and his career into some pretty scary and lonely places. Before that childhood friend, David Bowie, would step back in about a decade or so later with an invitation that set in motion almost a reclamation, a renewed sense of self and passion and direction that fueled Peter to step back into music in a way that nourished rather than emptied him. And much of Peter's story is beautifully shared in his memoir, Do You Feel Like I Do?, which I devoured, actually in audio, hearing him tell it in his own voice. In our conversation, many of the pivotal and wonderful moments and stories along the way, as well as some new revelations, drop into the conversation and as we spoke, Frampton also shared his experience living with an incurable degenerative muscular disease, inclusion body myositis, and how, as he described, he's got these three clocks running in his life that are essentially ticking away as he's unable to travel, hoping to be able to make it to the final few stops of a farewell concert that he planned to play back where he grew up and while he's still able. Really excited to share this conversation with you. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Good Life Project. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Really fun to be able to just spend a little bit of time with you. Um, I am a... Uh, I'm a huge lover of music and and also maybe of uh, stories about music and, and kindness. We had uh, Jimmy Vaughn in the studio a little while back and he was sharing some stories. And I remember one, uh, um, I remember hearing a story about uh, actually, you know, his little brother, Stevie mm-hmm. and how he acquired, you know, this sort of famous 65 Strat walking by a pawn shop with his wife, Lenny sees it in the window it was before he had broken, you know, so it was 350 bucks because it was really beat up, but he didn't have any money. So Lenny sort of circulated around and got $50 donation from all of his friends, bought it for him, gave it to him. And then he stayed up all night writing Lenny, a love song to her. Aww. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because when I think about uh, one of the, the guitars, you become iconic for using the 54, uh, you know, Les Paul, there's an interesting sort of similar really kindness-based origin story of how you came to even uh, own that guitar. Well, it's, yeah, it's, the whole thing is like a fairy story, really, from beginning and there's no end. And it's, it's still, it's the gift that keeps giving. So yes, um, I had just, I was with Humble Pie, it was 1970. I was playing Fillmore West and I had just, um, swapped my SG, my Gibson solid body, SG Gibson Les Paul uh, for a 62 for a 335. Well, um, unfortunately, we played at such a loud level, Humble Pie, that every time I turn my um, my volume up to solo, my solos sounded like, ooh, ooh, ooh. It was just a mass of feedback, you know, and I was just, and the band were looking at me like, what, what's going on? You know? So anyway, after, after I came off, there was a friend of mine there that I knew from San Francisco and he's Mark Mariana and a um, friend of his had told him that I was having problems. So he came down the next night. He said, I couldn't help but notice that you were having problems. He said, would you like to borrow one of my guitars? I said, Oh gosh, yeah, that'd probably be good. Um, so he said, uh, it's a Les Paul. I said, Oh, no, I'm not too good. I like SGs, but I'm Les Pauls are a bit too fat sounding for me. So um I said, but you know what? Anything is <laughs> gonna be better. So he brings it to the hotel the following morning to the coffee shop. He opens it up in the coffee shop and it's it's just come back from Gibson having been refinished um, in 1970. It was a 1954 guitar. And um, he had plumbed it for three humbuckers instead of the P90 original pickups on the guitar and um, sent it back to Gibson. They refinished it. And I just took it up to my room in the hotel and I was playing it. And I, I just felt like this was the perfect 
neck, everything just felt so, and I played it on stage that night and for the rest of the nights for the, the show at, at uh, Fillmore. And uh, it was, my feet didn't touch the ground and my solos were nice and loud. <laughs> so I, I was just, and then after, at the end of the show or end of the run of the shows, I said to Mark, you know, I gave it back to him and I said, I I know there's I know what you're gonna say, but I gotta ask it anyway. Would you sell it? And he said, No. I'm gonna give it to you. And I I mean I'm getting goosebumps right now. Um that was the beginning of the fairy story, you know, that he gave me the guitar. Uh I have given him so many number ones of all the different runs of Gibson guitars that I've been lucky, lucky enough for them to do for me. So he always gets number one. What he's going to get it. There's another one coming out soon. He's going to get that one too. And um, so I played it. I played it. I played it from seven, 1970, 1980. We had this horrible accident, plane crash in Caracas, Venezuela, and um, we believed uh, the, the and all the stage gear was gone. Everything: PA, monitors, backline, guitars, keyboards. And so when my tech went down a week later, uh, we were not in the country anymore. We'd already moved on to Panama. And uh, when my tech went down there a week later, um, he said, there's nothing left. It's just, you know, there's a picture in the book that shows you what was left. And, um, and so anyway, that was it. So for 30 years, um, every time someone came to me and I had a black Les Paul in my hand, oh, is that it? Is that it? And I'd go, no, <laughs> it's not the one. And um, so um, then, as I said, 30 years later, I open up an email from uh, my info at Frampton.com, and um, there it is today. It's a lot. You know, so I screamed and I looked at it and I said, it's mine. That is mine. I could see it because they took the pickups out. I know everything about that guitar, inside, outside, you know, inside the knob, the volumes, everything, because I've taken it all apart so many times myself to clean it and update it or whatever. And uh, I said, that's mine. But I wasn't going to tell them that. Um, <laughs> so anyway, there was a gray area of two years where the guitar was owned by someone on the island of Curacao and he stashed it away. It was too, um, he knew what it was, obviously. Then his son, the next generation, that's why there's the 30 years, wants to play guitar and says, Dad, can I take that guitar in to be fixed? It's not playing too well. <laughs> and so he said, yeah, go ahead. And they didn't think about it. The luthier he took it to knew as soon as he opened the case, he went <laughs> and he said, you know, he didn't say anything. He just said, leave it with me overnight and I'll get it playable for you. So the kid comes back following day and he's and the luthier says, you know what this guitar is, don't you? Whose this is? And the kid just closed the case and ran out. So that was it. We knew who had it, but we didn't know where he lived. So in the end, the kid wanted a new guitar within 18 months, two years. And so he asked 
the luthier. I'll get rid of it for five thousand dollars because I want to buy a new guitar. So basically, then it's still stolen merchandise. So the luthier goes to the uh, one of the offices uh, uh, in the government of Curacao and uh, says, uh, you know, I think the government needs to buy this. It'll be great for the island of Curacao if the government buys it back. Peter can't put you in jail. You know, <laughs> I didn't want to put anybody in jail anyway. I just wanted it back at that point. And um, so uh, basically the Minister of Tourism and the Luthier bring the guitar back to me 32 years later. And we filmed the whole thing. You can see it on YouTube. It's me getting my guitar back, you know, and it's about 10 minutes. And it's a wonderful video. I love it. I watch it every now and again. Because uh, I just, I remember exactly how I was feeling that day, you know, knowing that it was coming back, you know, it was. And then, of course, it made it, it went, we went straight from the hotel with everybody to Gibson. There was, you know, all these guitar aficionados, Walter Carter and and um, George from down here. And, and uh, so... Everyone's like looking at it and saying, yes, it's a 54, 55. So everyone was saying, we knew what it was, but I just wanted everybody to see it once and for all and say, yes, this is what I've always said it is. And and uh, and so they, they kept it for about a month, Gibson, the custom shop, and they made it playable again. The, unfortunately, the electronics weren't good anymore and, and pickups weren't good. So... All my friends, I didn't know I had so many, uh, Les Paul lovers, were sending me patent applied for pickups. And oh, I, was, I can't thank enough people. Uh, and basically, it's more time sensitive now than it ever was, I think. And um, it made its debut at our uh, Comes Alive 35 concert um, at the Beacon Theater in, in Manhattan. And the stage went dark right before Do You Feel? My tech put the guitar on a stand right in the middle of the stage, and all the super trooper lights hit it at once, and the audience went nuts. And it was the guitar's night. Mm, that's beautiful. Um, so I, I'm also a lifelong New Yorker, and um, I'm pretty sure that actually my stepbrother was in the audience at the Beacon that night. Oh, great. Because um, I remember him saying, you know, he saw, and he's, so I, I played guitar when I was a kid and I had this early seventies bone strat that I remember and I was like a dumb kid and I needed a little bit of money. So I sold it to him and he still has it and it's beautiful. So, so we kind of like both love guitars and I remember him sharing how beautiful that show was and like seeing you back on stage, you know, with the 54 Les Paul, there's something kind of magical. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's, um, it's likened to my career. It disappeared, and so did my career for a long time, uh, due to many things out of my and it in my control and out of my control. And as soon as it came back, things started happening again. So it was well, things had started happening again already, but it was just icing on the cake, you know. Yeah, it no. was, uh, to have it back, and then I remember the first um, Anthony Mason from um, CBS Sunday Morning. They were filming the return of the guitar and the and and me first playing it. And I 
they interviewed me. He interviewed me in the bus before I went on, on into the stage. And he said, so how do you feel about playing it? For the first time again, I said, I'm really nervous that I'm going to make a mistake. And I did. <laughs> in the intro. Thank goodness CBS cut that part out. It was very nice of them. But uh, I got the board tape and I couldn't believe. I, I was so nervous about playing it again. It was the star of the night, you know, and and it just meant so much to me that I just made a little flub on that intro. And, and I never do that, obviously. I've played that number for nearly 50 years. So. But anyway, it showed how important the guitar was to me. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, you you, you hear, um, I have a good friend who's a photographer also, and everyone's always asking him, like, tell me about, like, what should I buy? What camera is going to make me a better photographer and all this? And it's the same in music, I think, where people are always like, like, you know, where are the pedals? What are the guitars? What's the equipment that's going to make me a better X player? And, right. and, and you know, the rote line is always, it's not about the, the equipment, it's about you. Yeah. You know, and still, every once in a while, you find something where, like, you connect with a guitar or drum set or, you know, like, whatever it is. Yeah. It's almost spiritual. Yeah. And... Because Mark had taken that guitar and he had, it was a, he said when he bought it secondhand, it was a horrible green color. Who would have wanted a green Les Paul? I don't know. Green tambourine, but not green Les Paul. So um, anyway, so, you know, he had sanded it, took the paint remover, and then he'd sanded it and sanded it and sanded it and sanded it. And now the neck is smaller than a regular Les Paul. And I have small hands. So for me, it was like he'd sanded it to order for me. And uh, I, in fact, Gibson, Matt Gibson is is working on another version of the Phoenix. We're going to put it, uh, one that's going to be out there forever now, which is, mm. I'm so thankful. Um, and they sent me two prototypes a few months ago, and they were phenomenal. I said, oh, this is so great. I said, the only thing is the neck just is its so close. I said, but there's just a little bit, you know, that. And then I explained to them how it got that way. And he said, bring it in. We're going to scan it again. So they scanned it again. And he called me the other day and he said, it's an eighth of an inch or a tenth of an inch narrower at or point oh whatever it was at the nut and it's a little narrow all the way down i said oh so you can't do that he said no we're going to do it for you he said not normally but they are they're going to make it just it's only a little tiny tiny yeah. but a little tiny tiny on a guitar neck is is a huge amount you know yeah i mean you feel you feel everything you know it's yeah like, yeah it's amazing what you can actually pick up so i thank gibson they and we're, we're under new ownership jc has uh, taken over and we are so thrilled for mm. gibson oh, that's great well i'm excited for uh to sort of like see the next uh the evolution of uh of the famous phoenix now uh maybe available in, in different ways to, to yeah. more people and it's not um, going to be a hugely expensive piece either. Yeah. Like we didn't want that. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the guitar is sort of um, legendary. It's, it's, it, you know, you played it on stage early on. It's the guitar that ended up, you know, being featured on um, Friend It Comes Alive and, and all over the place. And um, 
you were playing from a very early age, starting with the banjolele and home and uh, eventually doing, sounds like you bumped into, you met uh, Bill Wyman of the Stones pretty mm -hmm. early in your teens. That leads to um, session playing with some of the like, incredible people. You end up with uh, Humble Pie, you and Steve Marriott start that around 69-ish, from what I remember correctly. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, what's happening in your life and your head is like, I love this thing. It's all I want to do. And, but in your mind, the identity is, uh, is a guitarist. Like this is, this is my jam, but, but the world kept wanting you to be something else. And then eventually when Frampton comes alive, you know, like comes out in 76, it's like the world says, Ooh, like this is our chance, you know? Right. And, and, I, and I guess nobody really, well, well, let me not assume that actually. It feels like, you know, you'd been out there in a solo career for, you know, a couple of years before that. Yeah. Doing, doing well, but when Frampton comes alive, like it, it changes the paradigm of everything around you at once. And it seems like it was also a bit of a mixed blessing for you. Yes. Um, being known uh, and, and getting every gig that I got, whether it be a band or a session or whatever, because of my guitar playing from, from a very young age. Um, and then, I mean, I'm going to have to mention the herd there because I joined the herd in England, uh, which was in the end, we had three, three real big hits and, uh, were very popular in Europe, but I was picked out to be the singer by the managers and writers of the songs because of my looks. And I'm, I'm going to use the word only because Pete Townsend used it to me the other day. And uh, he mentioned that my beauty got in the way. And I liken that to a lot of uh, other, may, it usually happens to women actresses who are phenomenal actresses, but they're just, their looks are just so great that it, it overtakes and everyone thinks less of their acting because of the way they look. It's such a weird thing. And so anyway, the, the only thing that happened when comes with the thing that happened when Comes Alive came out was that because of my looks, I ended up on front cover of Rolling Stone, all these mag people, this, the that, the boom, the dee. And, you know, pretty much just about every time they got me to take my shirt off and stuff that I should never have done, you know, but, um, you know, I needed to learn the word no a little earlier in my career, but, um, and then unfortunately that kind of took over and after comes alive, which is, I'll say it myself. There's some incredible guitar playing on comes alive. Uh, I don't usually play my own trumpet, but, but I listen to it now every now and again. I'll hear a track on the radio and I go, wow, that's not bad. That's <laughs> 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 pretty good. <laughs> and there's people on the internet analyzing my solos. And so I thought, wow, maybe I am pretty good. So um, I took a big hit mentally from all that. And it was a coupled with the fact that I was mm, kind of pushed into doing a, a follow-up album way too soon. When you've become the biggest selling album of all time, which Comes Alive was for two years, you're only as good as your last record, they say. 
didn't need to do one in the next four years. The Eagles, I always use the Eagles as a great example. You think they've had 30 studio albums. I think it's seven. Hmm. And the rest are best songs and live or whatever. And they only ever go near the studio because they can't stand each other. But, um, but also, <laughs> uh, until they've, they all know that their level of quality of song is extraordinarily high. Because why bother going into the studio until you've got an extraordinarily good song, you know, and a bunch of them. So I had six months, uh, I had six years to write the material for Comes Alive um, from Rock On with Humble Pie. Um, Shine On came from that. Then I cherry-picked from four of my own solo records and a, and a Rolling Stones number. And... Um, well, that was on one of my solo records. And, um, you know, so now everyone's getting, is living by the old rules of, well, you've just had a hit record. No, I haven't just had a hit record. I've had the biggest selling record of all time record. So there's no rush to go back in the studio. But I was rushed. And six months later, there's, I'm in the studio again. And with substandard material, hating it, not wanting to be in the studio, wanting to, you know, be writing with a lot of other great writers. I mean, at that time, for the follow-up of Comes Alive, if I'd have just got out of my own way for a second or two, every producer in the world would have wanted to work with me. Every great songwriter would have wanted to write with me. And... I discounted all that and just went with, well, I've done it all myself so far, so I'm going to do it all myself. But I needed help right then because how was I going to be able to come up with that great material and follow up a live album with the studio album? It doesn't work. You know, it's very, very hard to do. Yeah. And I mean, it seems like also for you, I mean, it feels like playing live is the thing that fills you more than anything else. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, so the idea of like, okay, so let's pull back from that to go into a mode of creation, which also is not the thing which really, you know, it's, it's great, but it's not the thing like you feel like you're here to do. And, and you're young at that point also. I mean, yes, like I, I know you've taken, you said, yes, I played a role in this. I made a decision, but you know, come on, you're what, 25, 26 at that point. Yeah. And the world is sort of like, you know, like meeting you and saying, and then you have people in the industry saying, well, this is the appropriate next move. It's really hard to say, well, I know better, you know, it, it, for anybody at that age in any domain. <laughs> well, yes, because I didn't, I didn't think, I thought, well, these guys are really experienced. I'm not management, record company, agent, whatever. They know. I needed to know what to do. I, I had no clue. I was, I was adrift. I was a one-man band, basically. There's no God, three other guys to talk to. And I remember being in Humble Pie. We used to say no a lot, you know, because we would talk amongst ourselves, you know. And nobody knew except me what to do at that point because no one had been there, as Cameron Crowe said, my dear buddy. They asked him, what just happened to Peter Frampton? And he said he was um, strapped to the nose cone of a rocket. 
He was shot off, landed on the moon. He got off and there was nobody else there. And that's how I felt. You know, I felt like all these people are advising me, but they haven't been here. They don't know. They've never handled an artist that's got the biggest selling record of all time, you know. So how do they know? But I succumbed to advice that was from their agenda, which was this goose can lay another golden egg. Let's get that egg happening. Yeah, get it while, while they're getting hot, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good Life Project is sponsored by NetSuite. So I remember when our businesses were just starting to really scale. It was amazing and also added complexity and stress. And the things that I used to do in hours were taking days, too many spreadsheets, too many systems, no single source of truth. If that sounds familiar, you should know these numbers. 37,000. 25 and 1. 37,000 businesses have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And 1. Because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth, manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash goodlife. That's netsuite.com slash goodlife to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash goodlife. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33 inch all terrain tires and multi terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.
It's, I mean, it's interesting also. Um, so Cameron Crowe, the album comes out January, I guess, 76. Yes. You end up on the front cover of Rolling Stone. It's sort of this, you know, like famous Gavulo uh, shirtless shot. And then Cameron writes the byline. And, and the title of that is The Pretty Power Rocker. Right. But it's really interesting because when you read the piece that he wrote, it doesn't match up with the headline. Because no. he actually, he was, he was actually, even at that moment, he was pretty insightful. Like he saw in you conflict inner conflict and tension and kind of wrote about it. Yeah. But that, but that's not really what made it out into the world. No, no, that's Jan Werner. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he likes me. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, yeah. And it was great. Cameron and I got to do a, a zoom thing on the day of, the book came out together and we hadn't spoken in a while. It was just so great to, to talk uh, with him because we, we went on vacation together. We, we were real close buddies for a long time and uh, still are, you know, and we we've just said, we're going to, as soon as the all clear sounds, we're going to meet up again. And uh, I got to buy him a nice meal. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I think a lot of people are feeling that way these days, right? Yes. So, um, so on the outside looking in, there's a huge phenomenon happening around you. You know, it's it's just like a well, like Cameron wrote, you know, like you've been strapped to the you know, front of a rocket ship and it's just exploding and taking off. But behind the scenes, as you shared, things you're struggling. You're you're being pushed in directions which aren't necessarily where you want to go. And the next probably close to a decade or so, as you shared. It becomes it's it's a struggle for you, you know. It, thrown into the middle of that, you know, like a devastating car wreck in the Bahamas, um, pain medication, drugs, being, um, uh, you know, having people who are very close to you uh, essentially take from you, and you're simultaneously trying to create. You know, you're putting out new work, but stuff isn't working the way that it it did, especially when you've got this thing, you know, like Frampton comes live as as the metric to compare. How do you compare anything to that after that? <laughs> I know. It's like Alanis Morissette, bless her. She's had recent success, and I'm so thrilled for her because um, it, it's devastating. What one of the, I liken her pill album to, to Come to Live in a way. You know, it's just get it away from me. <laughs> you know, it's a blessing and a curse, you know, and, uh, and she's very, very talented, and I'm so thrilled for her. I really am. And um, uh, so, yeah, it was, for me, it was, uh, the, the, the 80s were a period where I felt that Comes Alive had put me on the moon and everything that came after that seemed to have a cross in it, cross over it, you know. I'm in you, too soon, bad cover, um, you know, front cover of Rolling Stone, shirt off. You know, as Andrew Oldham just read my book, my dear friend Andrew, who was the Stones' first man, he managed Humble Pie and was the record label. <laughs> At the bottom of the bottom of the letter, he says, "Fuck Scavolo." So it's <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know, I love I love Andrew. Always always to the point, and um, dear friend, dear friend for so many years, and. Um, 
so you know um the the 80s was a period of not only did my looks take me all the way down but i felt like when i left humble pie i felt like i wasn't off the ladder i was a couple of rungs up because especially in america and england because people knew me from humble pie so i've got a built-in audience small though it may be i've got a small audience but i felt that after i'm in you and the movie sergeant pepper came out i went down not just off the ladder but i was like underneath the ground i'd gone down the rungs beneath the ground level i was on and i had to dig myself out of a hole to even get on the first rung again and obviously it wasn't a terrific time for me it was devastating and and uh financially and it, everything you know you mentioned earlier you know money was taken from me not that it's happened to a lot of people but but i was i was in dire straits and i'm not talking about mark nofler you know so uh you know it was it wasn't a great time but because of my upbringing and my resilience that i get from mainly from my mother i think but my dad as well i wasn't about to say this is the end i've always brushed myself off and and whatever i have to do and of course david came to david bowie dave as i know him came to my rescue because we went to school together and he knew me as the guitar player not he was the singer guy i was the guitar player you know and um so he saw what had happened and he saw that i'd come out of it and i just made my first record for atlantic armit um, thank you very much dear armit miss him dearly and um dave heard that and he said oh man i love the guitar playing on this album uh, premonition it was and um i said oh thanks and he said would you come and play for me and i said finally <laughs> we're going to actually we played on the same stage the same night but not at the same time for so many years and i said we're going to play together and he said yeah yeah so um i go to switzerland make the album never let me down and while i'm there he asked me to uh would i come on the tour glass spider tour and be one of the two guitar players and i said yes i will i would love now now this is this is a dream come true this is what i've always wanted ever since i saw as you're reading the book as i walked into the school and saw this band on the stage when i was 12 uh <laughs> with my dad my mom on a saturday and i saw the the conrads playing on the steps of the step of the entrance of the school and i wasn't going to the school yet it was the next year and i just was mesmerized by this guy playing the sax with a crew cut or whatever he was back then and i just looked up at dad and i said dad who's that he said oh that's jones he's very <laughs> he's very musical and he's very artistic you know that kind of stuff and i thought well dad i want to be him so that was that was it and so when i first made a you know from that moment and then we met at school and had a great friendship for his entire life and and um to from that moment 
to being on stage in stadiums around the world. He reintroduced me and gave me this wonderful gift of reintroducing me as the guitar player, the musician around the world, which was that's such a huge gift, you know, and he knew exactly what he was. I didn't realize at the time until it actually was started to happen. And all of a sudden, people are talking about Peter, the guitar player again. And it was, thank you. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't just your, re your sort of reemergence at a larger scale into music. It was in the way that you wanted to be known, you know, or it was for the thing that was deepest in your heart. You know, yes. not for not for appearances, not for sort of like the pop idol type of thing, but for the just like deeply melodic, amazing guitar playing, which was such a part of your DNA from the youngest age. It's like a beautiful full circle moment there. It was. And, um, you know, I can never I still thank him and uh, yeah, miss him dearly, as we all do. Um, but um, he gave me my confidence back. And I think once I got my confidence back, then I called Steve Marriott and I said, let's get back together. And unfortunately that didn't work out, we, but we did some great music together. Um, and then unfortunately we lost Steve, he passed away. And yeah. so I, I, I thought, well, that's another thing, you know, that I've got to, that was devastating obviously, but then I just called John Regan, my bass player. For, the last band that I had together, and I said, let's go tour. Let's go do some clubs. 92. And um, we started in, I think, in February. We did six weeks of clubs. We ended up doing six months of touring. It kept on getting extended. And we ended up back in Detroit playing <laughs> Pine Knob, um, headlining, you know, and Gosh, that was a year. 92 was the year. It was just like building it back again, like slowly but surely, the right way, live. With mm. My forte, you know. And by the end of the year, we could have gone to on touring forever, it seemed, but then it was time to make another record. And I had the confidence to do it again now. And I felt like I had, was no longer competing with myself and the old that comes alive guy, I was now just, you know, building back uh, a career as a musician. And it was, it was the best period in my life that paying my dues again, not being wealthy at all, never done anything for money in my life. It's always been because of the music and it worked and gradually mm. it took a long time, but you never stop paying your dues. Mm. Isn't that the truth, right? Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight-up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The 
all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front-row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's funny. I had, um, we had a, um, I don't know if you know the author, Kate DiCamillo. She writes these beautiful books. Um, I've heard of And we, um, we had her in the studio a little while back. And at some point in the conversation, this notion of the way she writes and the way for, for her, her creative process, the final act of creation is actually an act of connection. She feels like the final act of creation doesn't happen until the person actually reads her words, whether it's a six-year-old kid or an adult reading it to them. I wonder if, and, and I've been really curious about um, people where there's either sort of like a really strong emphasis towards process, like it is just the expressive act that makes you feel like I'm doing the thing I'm here to do versus knowing how that lands and that sense of like, no, I'm having a conversation. There's a dialogue going on between me and one other person, a million other people. Do you have a sense for where you fall sort of in that spectrum? Um, yes. I'm working on a, a friend's track right now. He's asked me to play some uh, guitar. And I've, I've been doing that under COVID. People keep sending me tracks and I give, send me as much as you can so I can get keep the fingers moving, you know. And um, there's, there's a moment when it happens when i i play a solo and i go mm, no that's not it no next one put it down for a second have a cup of tea come back place wow what happened what happened in that moment 
Why is it so different? It's because I think I disconnect like it's the disconnection from everybody on the side of the stage when I go on stage and it's the connection with the audience. And it's that it's the same moment of creation when I'm playing that solo where all my thoughts disappear and I am playing from my heart, my soul, and I'm not thinking. And I go at the end of it, I go, how did I play that? What did, where did that come from? And that's, those are the moments I treasure the most. And some days I'll be sitting there and do 16 takes and I'll go back and I'll listen to the first take and I'll go, wow, that was really good. <laughs> you know, but I keep thinking I can do it better, you know. But yes, I agree with her in as much as I think that my connection is actually the moment when I'm totally bereft of all control, which is, and it's coming from somewhere I don't know, deep inside me. And, and the same thing happens on stage. As soon as I leave the side of the stage, I have nobody to tell me what to do at all or give me advice or whatever. And it's up to me. And this adrenaline kicks in and I become a different person. I've become a creator on stage, you know, and I never play the same thing twice in solos. I can't do it because I can't remember what I played, but that's not the part. I wouldn't want to know remember what I played because each performance is another painting you know each performance is an audio painting for me and I want to make sure I don't play what I played yesterday I want to create a new something you know and that's why the audience being there and letting me know they like what I just did and I like what I just did anyway you know it's like that feedback between me and the audience and it's this, um, they create my adrenaline, you know, and I think, especially with my IBM inclusion body myositis, which is, uh, you know, is affecting my fingers and my legs and my arms and everything right now. I rely a lot on adrenaline, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, maybe if I'm just playing for the sake of playing um, and practicing, you know, I find it a little difficult in some areas, maybe that I didn't used to. And then I go downstairs and I or go to my studio and I put up a track and I play on it, and all my thoughts disappear. And all of a sudden, it happens. You know, and it's it's indescribable the feeling when that happens because it's like it's not all the time, but it is every time I go on stage. But that's mm -hmm. why I think I make I'm a better live performer than I am in the studio because I hate red light fever. You know, that's why I love recording at home and when I'm not supposed to be recording. When I'm not supposed to be playing that solo is when I play the best solo or, or come up with the best new chorus or something. Yeah, isn't it always like that? It's kind of amazing. It's interesting to hear you say, on the one hand, you never play the same thing the same way twice. But I've also heard you say, you're very much a perfectionist. I mean, you shared that a few times just in our conversation, which is kind of interesting because on the one hand, you'd figure the perfectionist says, let me just take this riff, this lick, this song, and practice the exact same thing over and over until it is 100% perfect. 
and and I think you have that in you, but then at the same time, you're like, I don't ever want to do that, <laughs> which is this really interesting tension. It's like my dear guitar tech, Darren Hurst, we've been working together a couple of years now, and he's wonderful. And and when when they ask, he said, when people ask me about your playing, I say, the man is always on the edge <laughs> of falling off the cliff because he's searching, you know. And sometimes it, mm, there might be a little green note there, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's searching for that new piece of something that I can create. You know? mm, yeah, I love that. You mentioned um, IBM inclusion body myositis, which um, from what I understand is a degenerative um, muscular disease, mm -hmm. which um, I guess it started to touch down in your life five, six, seven years ago, something like that. Uh, it's a little, yes, it's probably more like eight or nine years ago now. Okay. Maybe, yeah. That. Yeah. I mean, part of me wonders, and I know you have shared and you write about um, that, you know, this, it's a progressive condition um, for you, you know, for, for a long time, it has been progressing very slowly and you've been involved with John Hopkins and some trials and, mm -hmm. and it's helped. Um, when you think about the fact that the thing that you feel like you're here to do is to play music and to play it live, how do you sort of how do you do that dance where you kind of, you have this thing that is perpetually out there and now part of your life. And you also know that the, the one thing that you love more than anything else is to be out front and with people and playing. Do you forgive your desire to be perfect when you're playing all the time and still show up in front of other people? Or do you, how, how do you grapple with this? Well, I said to Ken Levitan, my manager, great. And he's a wonderful, wonderful man and, and uh, great ideas. And it's really rejuvenated my career. And uh, so I'm very thankful for him. I said to him, I've fallen three times now. And the last time was bad. And I said, I think we ought to be careful with, with what we, this was before the finale tour. I think we ought to be careful with what we book. And um, live wise. And he said, well, let's make this your farewell tour, and it can go on for as long as you want so that you can get to all the countries you want to go to, and hopefully your IBM will allow you to do that. So we did that, uh, but on, on, and the finale tour was, uh, um, I mean, I, I don't have words. The, the people, audiences were unbelievable, and I'm so thankful that I got to do it. But unfortunately, we got cut short because of COVID, good reason, obviously. So, but, so now I'm dealing with, um, uh, we, we've all got clocks. I have two other clocks. I have, well, we have the, the COVID clock before the all clear, which isn't anywhere near happening now. Yet we have our life clock and I have my IBM clock. And I just hope that they all work together so that I can go to Europe because nothing would, I've got to go home. To, I'm American, I'm a US citizen, but I'm also an, a UK citizen. And um, so we had the Albert Hall booked, you know, May 31st this year. And we'd all left in our calendars, all the band. And when every day I would get up and, you know, it comes up, notifies you where you are, what you, 
today you're in Paris. And no, I'm not. And, <laughs> and then the May 31st came up and we all called each other that day. We're supposed to be at the Albert Hall. I said, I know. I, I, you know, I didn't mean that when I stop playing, everybody else has to stop playing, but that's, that's sort of what happened, you know? And uh, so, yes, it's hard to deal with that side of it because i i don't know whether i'll be able to play live again it all depends on these clocks that have to work together in the right possible way yeah well hoping that that all does me too me too yeah. I'm, I'm the eternal optimist people say you know well how can you be optimistic i said well i'm playing good you know i'm playing really well i'm enjoying playing that's all that matters right now is that i'm enjoying playing mm, down the road i'll 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 deal with it when i get there. yeah it's kind of like i have i i know i know what i feel and what i'm capable of in this moment right you know and if i and the more i can just keep focusing my attention there yes the future will give whatever the future gives but in this moment you know in this five minutes thing yeah like things are actually good <laughs> yes they are yeah. Um, feels like a good place for us to uh, come full circle in our conversation as well. So we are hanging out in this container of uh, the Good Life Project. If I offer up the phrase to live a good life, what comes up? To live a good life? Um, well, now things have, have changed over the years. A good life right now for me is to spend time with my children and family. Um, I was an absent father because of what I did uh, and do for a living in, up until a very short time ago. So that's all I want now. I'm 70 years old. I've had an incredibly colorful life so far, and I'm so thankful. I, I can't ask for much more. Uh, so, yes, I, I, want to, I want to be the best dad possible from now on until I leave the planet. And um, I'm actually going to see my granddaughter for the very first time. She was born April 6th. And I, I'm writing this song, and it has the line where it's, I can't reach through the screen, but I can hold her in my dream. You know, and that's, I want to, but the reality of, of holding her in my hands, not through the screen, you know. and. Um, uh, Wednesday's going to be a very good day. <laughs> mm, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks also to our fantastic sponsors who help make this show possible. You can check them out in the links we have included in today's show notes. And while you're at it, if you've ever asked yourself, what should I do with my life? We have created a really cool online assessment that will help you discover the source code for the work that you're here to do. You can find it at sparkatype.com. That's S-P-A-R-K-E-T-Y-P-E. 
www.thinkandgrowthpodcast.com or just click the link in the show notes. And of course, if you haven't already done so, be sure to click on the subscribe button in your listening app so you never miss an episode. And then share, share the love. If there's something that you've heard in this episode that you would love to turn into a conversation, share it with people and have that conversation. Because when ideas become conversations that lead to action, that's when real change takes hold. See you next time.